Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, hey, hey. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Good. It's nearly the weekend. Well, we wait, for those who probably don't know, we record these on a Friday Right before lunch, I'm starving. You probably hear my belly rumble, but I'm having a four-day weekend. So when this podcast is out, I'll be chilling out in a mountain with a mountain bike somewhere. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's always interesting. I always wonder if, if after we record, which is Friday afternoon, my time, it's like, well, am I done for the day or do I got more stuff I got to get done? <laughs> <laughs> so, pretty good. Yeah. Well, I don't have to do it. You know, we were just talking about, you know, house audio. I need to update my sound systems here, right? So, there we go. Yeah, right. Got to spend up. Marketing topics as we go on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. For those that um, missed last week's show, we were just also just talking about the fact of Andrew Connell's star power and the amount of people that have downloaded that episode from last week. So if you have missed that episode or you're one of the six people in the world who didn't, right? <laughs> you're looking for another one to listen to after ads, I definitely go back and, and listen to episode 273 with Andrew Connell. But um, I'm excited for you guys all to hear from Ed Everett today, who we kind of introduced halfway through the show as how would you know him? Well, he's Vesta's boss and he's Jeremy Kelly's <laughs> boss in ODSP <laughs> and Luca's boss. Yeah, we um, we wanted to get through some announcements first before we jump into the interview. So what have you found this week, Paul? Yes, and, and just uh, some of these may not be necessarily new to folks because we kind of put them in a pocket waiting for Ed to come on the show. Uh, but uh, a couple or three SPFX related items. The first one I want to highlight is there is a new adaptive card host control in the PNP uh, controls react uh, solution or a repo, if you will. The idea, of course, here is that I have a web part and I want to show some adaptive card stuffs. So I, a long time ago, Hugo and I collaborated on a web part that was the adaptive card host, but this is a control, which means you can host a control inside all the other things, right? So it's kind of more componentized. And if so thanks to the folks who wrote this, uh, I'll link out to the GitHub page so you can see the, the full stack, but it's nice to see adaptive cards being everywhere. I love them. I love them. And off we go. And and they're including version 1.5. <laughs> Finally, a technology banked on that actually survived and is everywhere now. I, well, there's quite a few technologies that I remember writing a sample on that like the first month and then they get huge and I'm left <laughs> behind because I don't know how to market it or I don't talk to people. So no one knows I did the work. <laughs> I had a I had a, a O365 Groups Explorer web page that when O365 Groups first came out, right? Now now it's the whole Teams thing, the whole team, Graph API. Yeah, I've seen millions of those, but any, well, anyways. <laughs> but anyways, thanks to the guys who did the adaptive card host. And then there's a, a, a related link there was a bunch of sample templates or uh, design examples in the in the PNP repo. Oh, that's yeah, cool. right. Because the adaptive cards are, you know, obviously in this control as well as Viva connections and every place. So a lot of the community folks have done. So even though I joke, I use adaptive cards because I can't design. Boy, they certainly put me to shame on the way they make their cards too. So yeah, no uh, joke. These, these look great. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them from Tim Kedenbach, I think, who does uh, the adaptivestudio.io, I think is what it's called, or adaptivecards.io. Yeah, he's a, a big community leader in that. So, yeah, so, so great cards. If you're looking to do stuff, you know, just grab one and tweak it. So off you go. So adaptive cards, love them, got to have them. Uh, next one from Sergey Sergeev. Sergey's been 
referenced quite a bit on the show. I don't know if we've actually interviewed him. I have to reach out. Uh, he has a great blog post about building a proxy provider for SPFX and Microsoft Graph Toolkit. Gotta love the MGT talking in there, right? Oh. The idea here is that MGT is configured to use a proxy provider with the URL to our backend, right? So this is a custom backend using Azure AD, and you're then proxying these requests back in and get the token to off that stuff. So if I'm reading this right, that's what he's doing. Gotta love it. Yeah, ASP.NET backend proxy stuff that he's getting here, right? It talks about even how to do the allow uh, the core add cores and add identity, Microsoft Identity Web API authentication. Whew, big mouthful, but it's the um, Microsoft.identity stuff all rolled into one blog post. So thanks, Sergey, for putting all these pieces together. Yeah, similar to what we had last week on Teams. Yeah, so yeah, that's awesome. awesome there. That's really cool. I remember Nicola Matulev, who kind of was like one of the founders of MGDT, he built one of those proxies originally with that backend of ASP.NET, but I don't think we ended up V1-ing it. So it'd be interesting to see what this looks like. And Sebastian Levert is off on leave at the moment. He, uh, him and his wife just had a baby, but we've got some backup PMs that are kind of keeping the lights on with MGT while he's out. So I'm sure he'll be excited to see that. Yeah. And congrats to Seb. Yeah, you found a couple too as well. Yeah, I, um, Yabas Horst, who's been actually working with us uh, directly with Kristen's team in the Graph DevX space. But um, he kind of was giving a shout out, um, this must have been last week now, the shared channels that are starting to roll out. And it's funny on Twitter, it's like, I got it, yay. And then everyone else be disappointed. It's not in my tenant yet. And, or I can't share a channel because I don't know anyone else to tell it to share it with. <laughs> but what he just brought up, which is a really good point, is, is that there are beta APIs available um, that allow you to manage shared channels using the graph. Um, so he's done a little bit of a blog post just outlining that, which is really neat. I haven't had a tenant light up with it yet. And actually haven't really explored it in our own internal tenant either, which is, we've been kind of discussing maybe doing that with the MVP teams, teams that we have. And then the other one that I found, um, was I was actually quite surprised. It was in my Office 365 non-dev blog channels, but it was Tony Redmond's uh, blog post on Practical 365. And I must admit, whenever I read Tony Redmond, he's always got something kind of, he's always good at picking out the bad things. And But this one's quite a positive post from Tony. Um, he uh, was talking about how he's using PowerShell SDKs, the Microsoft Graph PowerShell SDKs and using auth. But the challenge he was talking about was working out which permission he should use uh, when he's calling the relevant PowerShell commandlet. And he explains like, you know, you can just over guess and go free for all and use group, re group rewrite all, which I mean, if it's your own dev talent, sure. But if you're going to run these PowerShell commandlets in someone else's talent, they're unlikely going to give you that. And so he explains how you can use like Graph Explorer to see the list of permissions or go into the graph docs themselves. Um, and actually he found that there is an SDK helper as part of our um, SDKs in PowerShell to find dash MG graph permission where you can like plug in the API and it will tell you the permissions there as well, which actually calls our backend DevX API too. So um, useful. Um, it's always good to see how people exploring these things and rightfully so treating permissions with some uh, seriousness when um, playing with tenants because you don't really want to give out group rewrite on unless you really, really have to. So that was good to see Tony. Tony, using our stuff. Or directory read write all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks, 
Tony, for doing that. And and I agree that this is a beautiful thing about the dev tenants, right? I can, once I've written some code that has to do something, I'll go turn, look up the least privileged one. The first one listed in the graph docs is the least privilege that needs. Do that one, boom, run the command. And then if it, you know, sometimes you're doing two or three things and I just, you can run it over and over again in a dev tenant, right? Who cares if you delete a group in the dev tenant, you can just create a new one. And so the, um, the combined with this, uh, you know, get the, the permission from PowerShell, which is going to be faster in my book than looking it up on the page, trying to find it, right? Launch docs and then look and look for the right thing. So I, I, I hadn't made the connection between the PowerShell and this permission list. So that's a great tip. I'm going to have to yeah, really put that cool. in there because you just say, uh, find the permissions. You do slash group slash ID. Boom. Comes back what you need. Off I go. Love it. Love it. Love it. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's really neat. Yeah. So we'll, um, we'll jump into the show now. Um, so uh, really great to have Ed on. Um, we, we've been asking him for a little bit and he gracefully accepted and I was really ha happy with how the interview went. So enjoy. And if there are other people you want to get on the show, um, please make your suggestions on Twitter or at, m365 dev podcast and please please remember to kind of give us a shout out on the podcast store of your liking and um, the itunes store seems to be the most popular for our audience so uh, we only have like five reviews on there and i know there's more than five of you listening so please get out your phones right now plug us a review on the podcast app and we, we'd really really appreciate that thanks everyone Okay, so we have Ed Everett with us today. Hey, mate, how are you doing? Great. How are you all doing this morning? It's good. It's, I mean, it's Monday morning, so everyone's, I guess, is probably still waking up for the day. But um, yeah. I can see you got your Microsoft coffee there already. <laughs> I, I do in the building and everything. You know, two-year-old wow. Starbucks beans. <laughs> what building are you guys in now? Building thirty-four. Okay, so you have a thirty-four. Oh no, there's no Starbucks. You have to go to the cafeteria to get your coffee in the morning then, or do you just use the machine? Near your I office. just use the machine. You're uh, one of those. Yeah. I, I tell myself I should like, I mean, the cafe is like 15 steps away, but it's like, <laughs> there's just something about the machine where I don't have to know if the cafe is open and I just, uh, it's predictable. It's like an old friend. So for those that uh, have not heard or seen you speak, I mean, you're on the PMP community course uh, uh, most recently, actually. Um, but who are you and how long have you been at Microsoft for? That's going to take hours to answer. Like, who am I like as a person? As a, <laughs> Developer yeah. audience. Developer audience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, well, we'll focus this in. My name is Ed Averett. I lead product for extensibility for OneDrive, for SharePoint, and Viva Connection. So really like everything in the OneDrive and SharePoint space from no code, low code, and then pro dev. And how long have you been in that role for? Gosh, um, I have now been doing this, I think, about three years. Like, I think I, you know, to kind of date it, I came on just as SPFX was doing its first real GA release. Interesting. And so I will pull this back a bit, which wasn't a question on the list, but I had- We're a going off script already? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I had a, a fanboy moment for someone in my team, Barry, who was like, wait, is it the Ed Averett? And I was like, what do you mean the Ed Averett? So I started Googling <laughs> you. Uh-oh. And then there was a bunch of history with you working in a previous company um, in, in the gaming world. Is that right? <laughs> Not exactly. Okay. Both of my parents 
were deep in tech, um, early, early when tech was starting. Uh, my father was a video game developer. He pretty much made every single video game for the Odyssey video game system. Far out. That's really cool. Matter of fact, he still dabbles with it today. Yeah. Uh, so my first job as a baby was beta testing video games on the <laughs> old consoles. Uh, that's how I spent my childhood. I, and I'm definitely showing my age by not knowing what the Odyssey system was. Was that like before the Spectrum ZX and? No, I hear th- I hear this comment about you know his age, which what he's implying is my age is very old. That's what he's saying. He's not without saying it. Paul's very disappointed in you. So <laughs> I didn't say, Paul, have you heard of the Odyssey system? I didn't go there. <laughs> so Odyssey predated Atari by about three years. Oh wow! Right, and Odyssey was Magnavox entry into the video game market just slightly before. And Magnavox heavily partnered with Intel. Matter of fact, like if you go back, my father worked at Intel, my mother worked at HP. And what happened is my father was basically in technical sales and said the future of microchips is in multimedia. Um, and him and Andy Grove disagreed. So he left to go do this tiny startup making video games. And it worked out very, very well for him. Wow, good job. That's awesome. I like hearing those stories. And so you really didn't have a choice with both your parents in tech. It was kind of a, a done deal. I mean, it, it was laughable. They were like, well, I mean, you can choose any type of engineering. Um, it should probably be electrical computer or computer science. But like really, like if you want to go dabble in like civil or something like that or industrial, like, I mean, you can still come to dinner, <laughs> but we'll just judge it. <laughs> SharePoint Framework has been around a lot. We've had lots of guests talking about that. So I want to start with our conversation with you is on Viva Connections, which is somewhat new to the portfolio, if you will. And, and and obviously, we see Viva Connections content on the community call often, which is talking about here's types of cars and how you build them. But can we take a step back or a step higher, if you will, and, and give us, from your point of view, what, what is Viva Connections? Why did it get built? What should people be thinking about when they're considering Viva Connections? Absolutely. Viva Connections specifically is focused on this idea of the relationship between the employer and the employee. Like I do tons of information work all day. I send lots of emails. I do lots of communication. I write PowerPoint docs, Word docs. Viva is not any of that. And I'd say that's kind of Microsoft's wheelhouse is like all the productivity tools in my life. But especially with the pandemic, which really put this into supercharge, what you saw is people more and more disconnected from their company. Like, why is Microsoft a great place to work for? Why is Activision a great place to work for? GitHub, like name, name your favorite company. I, I just named ones we're acquiring. But um, it's this thing of like, what is my identity rolled up into? And Viva Connections is that idea of like, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to take all the places you were doing your core information work or frontline worker work. And like, we're going to put your engagement surface back to your um, community. And when you look at it, um, I'd say the employee experience space has actually been around a long time. Like Microsoft is kind of a new entrant into this business and it's a different business than we've ever been in. But if you look at what it takes to be successful, first you, you need a, say a space to be able to engage employees. And like, we have so many of that with things like teams, like SharePoint, Windows, all these sockets. And then you need this ability to make this breadth play to stitch together all these different solutions. Like 
one of the things was a core tenant of Viva Connections is that dashboard and those experiences need to be full on day one. So you need to be able to integrate in a 30-year-old server solution, a Azure SQL solution, something from Dataverse, something straight out of M365, building direct on our platform. So like when you look at it, we had to do a very breadth-based platform to enable everybody where they're starting. And then I'd say kind of the special sauce we did, especially looking at um, the pandemic, was like it really needs to be focused mobile first. Like especially when you look at these core workloads of how I engage with my company, it's typically on the go on my phone. That's the best I've heard it articulated. I mean, obviously there was a lot of the the developer ecosystem that were using SharePoint as that platform for the internet, which was where we were, you know, where a lot of companies sent people to go to the internet. But it sounds like the thinking has evolved a bit into this being more mobile orientated because of the percentage of the employees at any company that isn't sitting in front of a computer looking at a uh, desktop browser and viewing it. Yeah. And I don't think we ever really got to that nirvana of a SharePoint internet page looking amazing on mobile devices, right? Yeah. And that was the end. Like it can load. And like if you put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. You can absolutely make a great SharePoint page that is great on mobile. Um, but the the reality is there's a lot of developers out there and there's a lot of customers out there who don't have the time and don't have the expertise. And like that's actually where you get into the magic of adaptive cards, where it's like, hey, you no longer need to really worry about your display logic on Android, on iOS, on Windows 11, on Windows 10, on Mac OS, on Chrome OS, like all these things where it's like Microsoft is actually bearing the weight of like, we're gonna build great responsive renders for this. Like you need to worry about your workload and your data binding. How did you get there? Cause like in talking to, we've had a David Clow on this podcast many times who kind of was one of the spears with adaptive cards and Matt Hedinger as well is another one. Yeah. Two good friends. And it's like technology that was really clever, but it didn't really have a, it wasn't getting taken up by anyone. And this seems like it's an interesting one where like you guys have snapped to it straight away internally as a, this makes sense. Like obviously it done well in the, the team's chat message space with adaptive cards, but this seems like it's another one that where it's like, this is just makes total sense to use this directly in the Viva connections. What were some of the reasons why that was picked over you know, going, you know what, it's not going to quite give us what we want. We're going to roll around, which is a very like Microsoft way of going about things. I, I was about to say, it's a, like a historical cardinal sin of Microsoft, especially if like somebody like in a product team yeah. is like, no, no, no. Like that thing over there, like, no, we need to control our own destiny. We're going to build it. It's going to be better. Right, right. Like we're going to, re- like we're actually going to replace that thing. And like the reality is it's like, that's almost never true. You end up building a V1 thing that has all the same holes as that other V1 thing. And like, for me, like the magic as at Microsoft is when you like, like we're a huge company, we have huge investments and where we can get a couple of product groups just coming together, we can make such a difference in technology and across the world. And like, like when we looked at it, it was like, Hey, like when you looked at our requirements, it's like, we need a great mobile platform that crosses both predominant mobile OSs, both desktop OSs, and we like and we need a thing that's really easy for the community to adopt and we need tooling and like when you started stacking up all the requirements, it was like 
there is no way we're going to be able to build all this in any foreseeable time. And it's like, well, what, what can we use? Like, how can we actually get a multiplier effect? And, and for me, it, it was always kind of like a no brainer to go after adaptive cards because it was so close. Now, now there were things that we and like Matt and David have been incredible where it's like, hey, we found gaps here and there and we found challenges and it's like we've really partnered, but then we're all building on the same solution as opposed to like competing for the exact same solution. Um, and I'd say like, it, you know, it's kind of an evolved Microsoft in the last five to seven years where we're really able to take bets on each other. Sometimes it doesn't mean we move a little slower, but like we get so much further going this way. So that leads me to what one of the developers' common frustrations, and this is both feedback and a comment, not a criticism. <laughs> so I have SPFX, I have Teams FX, I have every other development style in the world. So do mm-hmm. do your thoughts? Do you share those thoughts with other folk, uh, folks on other teams in your role, or can you give us some some of your thoughts about the developer experience? Yeah, and I would say there there's two fundamental models. Microsoft can go after as um, big as we are. And like Archana and I talk about this, Bragu, like people over in AD, Jeremy, like, like when you look at platform, we really have two options. There is one, we are very, very clean. We have no intersection. Like we have circles, they don't overlap at all. And it's like, it's very clear. It's like, you want to do X, go over here. Now, the problem with that is like you leave lots of space that you will not cover because like circles can never overlap. So it's like there's all these customers that are like, I guess I have no option. I'll go build something on AWS for Android or iOS. Like who needs Microsoft? So that has a whole set of flaws. And then there's the other model, which Microsoft typically goes after. It's like, you know what? We're going to have like the intersecting Venn diagram. Which means it's like, oh, you have a problem. As Microsoft, we have three different ways to solve it. And like personally, I think that is the better option for customers and developers. And really, like when it comes down to those three, you should choose the one you have the most home field advantage on. Uh, like this is where it's like with anything SharePoint, you could maybe build it on the Power Platform. You can maybe build it in straight Azure. You can use Teams FX, SPFX, but like. What do you have great expertise in? What can you hire a development team in? What does the customer want? And like the, the reality is it's like, yeah, we're, we're going to have options for you and you're going to have to choose. But I think that allows us to get better experience. But it comes with confusion. And it comes with like we kind of need to constantly be explaining. It's like it's okay these overlap. And I think sometimes we don't do that enough of explaining like it's okay these overlap. How does that work for you? I mean, actually, just to cover something off as well, Ashana is the GPM equivalent of Ed in the team space. So Ashana owns all the extensibility over in Teams and Bragu is her boss who's the CVP of Teams platform. But how how does that for you as a GPM in this space, you, you could probably march a bit quicker if you just picked one and went with it, right? But having that the options to do, like you mentioned with Power Platform and with SPFX and others. How do you balance that? Like, is there one that you go, look, that, this is our our core story we're telling and those other ones will follow, fast follow? Or are you trying to spread your you know, the children evenly so they all grow at the same kind of speed? I think it's not necessarily, like, 
evenly isn't the way I think of it. I, I tend to think of it more as like each of these will have a set of things they're absolutely amazing at. And it becomes clear. It's like, oh, like if your problem space is over here, you tend to, to go there. And I'd say like, and one of the things like our customer base is so big that like we need some different options. Like it is impossible for myself Mm-hmm. Or Chana, um, or even the Power Platform teams to hit every scenario in a timely manner. Like ultimately, you end up with a set of problems that it's like a customer has X topology. How do they how do they write code and solve their problem in the next year? Uh, like we're just going to have different answers there depending on who you are and like what choices you've made for the last decade. I mean, I think if there's anything you've seen, it especially in enterprise software, especially when it comes to like app development and extensibility, it's like code lives a really long time. Like we all kind of want to come from the like, let's ignore the past. And like, that doesn't really work. That, that's like, I mean, like. <laughs> I have for a no fact, there are SharePoint farm solutions in government departments yes, in Australia still running on code. Fault, right? Jeremy, you let me down. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but that, that's I started up just to follow up on that. That right. So we an example of, of Viva Connections. You, it it's available to us faster because it's built on some of the SharePoint stuff. But that also means it depends on the SharePoint stuff, and so it has to move along, right? So I, I totally understand where you're coming from. It's, you have to make that decision whether I want to take a dependency on this thing because it gets mm-hmm. me out faster versus the yeah. three-year cycle that we can't do anymore, right? So that's a great a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and it's interesting. And I know you joined after SPFX was kind of starting to be built, but, you know, there was a, you know, being where developers are, like SharePoint came from that .NET space and ASP space before that. And SPFX was a big jump from the add-in model to SPFX where it went from like very .NET heavy and a, a little bit of uh, jQuery to, you know, now in this full-blown React space. How was that journey transition for for you all in SharePoint Bean? Because as an example, if I think about the ISVs I talk to, most are either on you know AWS or Azure, and they're building their own stacks, and they're not necessarily wanting the heavy influence of SPFX. But do you feel like you've done a good job of moving the SharePoint guard of old over into SPFX and bringing them along with that jump? Yeah, and I, I would say um, the numbers certainly indicate that we have. And like I'd say, like, and part of this is a job market. thing. Mm-hmm. If you look at coming out of university today or consulting, it's like, there's a lot of web tool chain devs. There's a lot of people that know JavaScript, that know React, that know, like, it's a very portable skill set. And like, I think we were in the right place at the right time there. Now, I'd say like one thing that I think could have helped Gosh, if we could have killed old versions of IE faster, I mean, like if you look at it, like SharePoint um, and Teams as well, basically bet the farm on heavy, heavy usage of JavaScript, um, which works great in Edge, works great in Chrome, works pretty great in Safari. But like if you go to old versions of IE, it's, I mean, like, it is a, it is a rattle trap car. And, like, we, we have now, like, addressed that. But it's, like, you know, software takes a long time to, to kill. Now, one of the um, 
most recent additions to SharePoint on Microsoft Graph, the, the content types and taxonomy have come out, which is great. One of those longstanding things. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, personally, <laughs> because of the product I write, I'd love to see a couple other yeah. things move along. And so rather than, than tell you what you've heard a million times, can you give us your thoughts about SharePoint graph items or workloads on, on the graph endpoints? Yeah, um, I, I think there's a couple things there. I, I'd say first, the content type and term store stuff isn't fully done yet. Uh, like if you look at it, like coming to graph beta soon is like uh, content type sync, um, term set. Like there, there's a little bit more to finish out. Then I'd say beyond that, and we've talked to a few people about it, um, we're finally, and this is a little embarrassing, finally bringing a recycle bin API. I think more and more, um, probably less in this podcast, but we have a whole um, OneDrive consumer development stack and then we have OneDrive for business and they all go through the graph, but it's actually not a perfect intersection. Like we're spending a bunch of time saying, hey, like we actually need to drive consistency between these two API services. So that's coming. Um, I'd say we're also gonna do more around site admin. And then I'd say once we get beyond site admin, that, that's really teeing us up to have kind of all types of site creation pulled into the graph. There are some core things that are still just missing. Like if I look at OneDrive and SharePoint, I, I kind of always explain the graph this way. There's three core atomic types that we support, which is a file, a list item, and a page. And then there's all these value added services that we add on top, like uh, content types, like term store. And it's like, we really need to go through and add great support for the atomic types and then all the services on top of that. So that's where things like recycle bin come in. Um, we're also going to be adding more capability to list Delta. Um, I'd say pages is always a painful one. I'm actually taking your all's thunder. I know you're, you, you want it to be like, ha, tell us what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not going to answer it on this podcast. You're going to have to tune in next time. No. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah, this is the premium podcast content. Yeah. Put five Bitcoin in. Um, you know, uh, I say pages is the one I, I feel the most bad about because if you go back to those atomic types, like there's a pages beta API. It hasn't been touched for a while. It is one we are working on. It is taking way longer than we would like. We have line of sight towards recycle bin, towards improving list items, towards adding more and more of those value added services. I don't have a timeline I can talk yet about how we bring the pages capability into the graph. And one thing I think helps and something I do with ISV is to, to try and empathize with us on how complex this problem is, is just to explain how the orgs split up. Like you don't have an army of PMs and army of devs that just build these APIs. You're, you have a centralized team that then has to go work with the pages team and work with the list team and work with the files team that are in a lot of cases, not even under the same CVP as you, right? Like they're distributed in different places. Yeah, and, and it's like, it, it's funny, it's, it's more like how, how we bake the cake, but like a huge part of what my team does in the graph space is like, we actually have to build and maintain a runtime that is like, okay, like how does everything in the OneDrive and SharePoint services speak graph? And then a huge part of Jeremy, what you've been involved with is like, okay, you know, we have literally thousands of developers working on now everything from 
the most simplest OneDrive file stuff to really advanced stuff like Syntex and uh, Cortex and those things. And like actually helping an army of developers be like, here's how you build the generation of REST-based APIs that kind of fit in with the rest of Microsoft. Like that actually takes a huge amount of education and enlistment. Most of us are like, hey, I need to build something and get out to market quick. And then you get in and it's like, hey, like um, the way you're using OData isn't really the right way. Like we need to talk about the shape because like, well, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't bother you here in this scenario. When you compile the way you're doing this with say, you're now having interact with a Teams channel or an Outlook email, like it's actually super important that from a customer's perspective, when you're using all these APIs, they kind of behave similarly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And there's like things that, you know, Jeremy Kelly worked on years ago. And Jeremy, for context, has been on the show a bunch of times. And Ed is Jeremy's boss. And actually, you're Vessa's boss as well. Because um, obviously, everyone knows Vessa. We should probably just introduce that as context earlier on too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, they introduced app folders into the consumer space. But it's still a huge ask of ISVs as well, where it's like, look, we just need a place to drop a bunch of files, but we don't want to ask for someone's entire... OneDrive for business location, and that doesn't that doesn't um, exist. But it's funny when you go talk to Jeremy and then talk to the engineers how complicated that scenario that is because of the fact there is this notion of a consumer OneDrive and a um, the commercial side. Yeah, and that's one I'd say I'm happy to report. Like we are working on. Like we'll we'll have the basics of app folders out there. I'd say um, you know a few of us I'd say are just off the heels of the M365 conference where. Uh, Jeff Keeper, uh, Naomi Moneypenny, myself, um, a bunch of others did the keynote and AMAs. And of course this comes up. I'd say Microsoft Graph was the right and great start. And especially when you look at permission scopes, like it was the right starting point. But we have to evolve to more granular scopes. Like it's, it's just no longer acceptable at the success M365 has had to say, hey, um, I want access to all your email. I want access to all your files, all your sites. I mean, all is really, really big now and terrifying. <laughs> um, and that's why like uh, about a quarter ago, we released the sites.selected scope, which is really an app only, app plus user is coming. And I'd say the app permissions folder that we have in consumer, we're gonna, we're gonna bring that over to enterprise. And then I'd say the other one we're working on, like kind of my, the dream scenario we haven't unlocked yet, um, and I feel great guilt with developers here, is like you need to be able to build a Teams app, and it needs to be able to govern over the tab. So I need the Teams app development story where it has access to the files tab, the list tabs, the chats. And like right now, we don't have all those scopes lined up. Um, that's definitely a thing we're working on right now. Yeah, yeah, because like the team side has like the resource specific consent, where it's like this app is installed in the team, it has access to Teams chats, but it doesn't cater for like and the files within that same team as yeah. well. Which is kind of an important thing. <laughs> you think there's a lot going on in files? I like yeah. to point out to these new kids these days that, by the way, SharePoint's had resource specific consent forever. It just was tied up in ACS and XML, so it's got to be dug true. out. And, and expo- <laughs> I mean, that's not a criticism. It was there. I mean, it, but it was there from you know technology that was in place at the time. So it, it, I think I, I'm sure I'm sure that you folks will get there. It just like I said, it's got to be unpacked and and done in the right shape. So worth yeah. doing. Well, I, yeah. I appreciate your candor on there on the graph stuff, but Paul did jump ahead, and there was one thing I wanted to ask specific to SPFX. Yeah. 
<laughs> which was the decision point for a developer of what is the value of SPFX versus like if I'm doing something, just deploying it as Azure and essentially using the Teams manifestus to point to, you know, what's going on in Azure. Like how, how do you have that decision point with enterprise devs or ISVs? Yeah, uh, I think there's a couple questions you want to ask first. I, I'd say the first one is like, where is your development expertise? Are you heavy in the .NET building a web service or are you heavy in the, hey, I have a bunch of front-end web devs who actually know how to actually use JavaScript, use React, lay it out there. And then I'd say the next one, which I'd say is a really kind of overlooked thing, it's like, do you want to run a service? As someone who runs part of a service, like, it is exhausting and terrifying. You talk about <laughs> things like three nines. You talk about thing about uh, geo failover. You talk about things about like all the things you do to bulletproof your service. Like, do you have the time and inclination to do that? And the truth is, like, a lot of customers don't. Then you get into like things like that. I'd say SharePoint really gives you the out of box things where there's a lot you don't have to worry about. So you get all that hosting for free. Like you have a place to deploy and manage your code. You have single sign-on support. You have a full graph helper. Like I look at it as like SPFX is one of the best ways to plug in to SharePoint and Teams. Like if you really just want to worry about the experience and like you don't want to spend your resources worrying about the back end, we are going to manage that for you. Yeah. Um, no. By the way, like there's perfectly reasonable scenarios where you're like, I need to run my back end. Like I would say like, like if you are building an accounts payable thing, like you probably need to go build a service on Azure that manages all of your accounts payable and like have a little SPFX web part that round trips back to that um, with approved APIs. You don't want to try and make your accounts payable in a list using a SharePoint web part, like you could, just like you could build it out of Excel, but uh, like that's that's not really the right thing. So I'd say if your business is enterprise line of business development and you really want to simplify the back end and auth and graph, SPFX is probably the right for you. And that's kind of been the same argument if you go SharePoint hosted apps and then it was sandbox solutions and farm solutions before that, right? Like you didn't have to worry about your own IIS web server on premises or a SQL database. Like, you know, you just deployed it as a WSP package and your way to the races. And, you know, sure, it was a little bit shadow IT, but I think now with where you've got to with SPFX and the management at the IT level, I think that notion of shadow is there's a lot more control for an IT team within an organization to kind of manage that stuff in an easier way than would have been with the farms on premises for sure. Well, I appreciate you sharing that today. Paul, did you have any other questions while you have the boss on the line? (laughs) (laughs) No, but one other thing, this is another unscripted (laughs) comment slash uh, question. Uh, As as most of us, most of our listeners know, a while back, SPFX had a version oops and and changes to that process. And I'd like to get your feedback on the GA process that uh, you guys put a lot of work into that. And I'd like to get your thoughts on how that's going and and, and any other uh, comments. First and foremost... That was Jeremy's fault. Let's, 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 just, let's just own it. Like, I'm a big fan of accountability. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it's a great question. I, I would say it, in the realm of like, hey, if there's anything in the last three years you regret, um, for me, it's not 
tackling this sooner. It, it was interesting. I think we we played a bunch, I'd say, in year one of like, what is the right release cadence? And like, we were starting slow. And then we tried this idea of like, hey, what if we release every week? And like, it's just new feature here, new feature there. That didn't work very well either. Neither did slow. And then like, we tended we weren't spending enough time in GitHub issues on just let's, let's call it tending the garden. And like, we kind of had this moment where like we just got too far ahead of our skis for the technology or um, for the analogy. And we got to a point where we didn't have that good of a release. And like, we really took a step back and we're, we, we kind of surveyed two years of how we were doing things and ideas. And it was like, okay, what do we need to change? And like, we got to this model of like, okay, more than anything, the developer community wants predictable, continuous investment, and they also want to know like their top issues are heard. And we looked at like how we were doing things, and we're like, wow, we're, we're not doing great on either of those. So we moved to this model of like, you know what? Major update of SPFX every quarter. And as a matter of fact, we will separate between there is this quarterly thing that is big in GA and will immediately fork to a beta version for like the people that want to be bleeding edge can. So we get a little bit of that like weekly new stuff, but you know, like, Hey, you should, uh, like you're kind of breaking glass. Like don't deploy this in production. This is very beta. And then like just a surge on like the lifeblood of a platform is the bugs that your developers are experiencing externally. So really pushing on the GitHub issues. Um, hopefully anyone listening to this is like, oh yeah, like those have all gone down in the last eight months. There's a few that take longer. Yes, and, and it has been noticed, and, and exactly, and that's why I wanted to get your, your feedback on how that process from the because from the outside we're seeing improvement, and I was just curious, great to hear what, what you're seeing and why. So that's always always appreciative. So that that was my that was my question for the guy behind the scenes. So thanks for for, for yeah. taking one of those out of the blue, but not really out of the blue questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, I I'd say one thing we're continuing to listen for is is quarterly the right cadence for major updates. I tend to think it is of, it's just like it, like I, I feel like externally from Microsoft, you always have this question of like, Hey, there's like 20 different platforms is the one I'm betting on still real. And I feel like you kind of have to ship quarterly to show like, yeah, it's still real. We're still betting here, but it could be every six months. I think every two year or every year is too long, but it's like, that's one we're listening for of like, Hey, is every quarter what you want? Does it help you? We think it's the right. Here's a data point for you from an ISV. Yeah, we're getting customer pushback on too many releases. And so we, quarterly is, is okay because, if, especially if it affects the end user training, they're like, holy cow, we don't want that, right? So, so I agree it's a, it's a, it's a tough balance and, and quarterly seems, seems good from our perspective. So I mean, it's a long way from the here's a disk for SharePoint 2007. <laughs> See us in three years. Like. <laughs> We're off partying in the fountains on campus. With our yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, um, I appreciate you coming on, Ed. Thanks so much, mate. And um, yeah, I just testament to all the work your team does. I, you know, it's a pleasure working with them all. And I think you've got a great team over there and um, you should be in a great product. And I, I, I'm excited to see the future of where Viva Connection goes. And, you know, I was really happy to see the adaptive card stuff be adopted in there rather than going and doing your own thing. Because it does show that, you know, we are starting to learn here yeah. at Microsoft that that isn't always the yeah. best way. We, we, we can actually talk to each other. It, yeah, it turns that's, right. out that's a really good thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and thank you guys for running the podcast. I mean, I think it's it's so important to reach the developer community because there's literally so many of us in every walk of life. So like podcast, documentation, sharing is caring, you name it. Like like the more options we have to engage developers, the better. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Well, look, have a good week and uh, we'll get you on another time. All right. Cool. Thanks, Ed. See you guys next time. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 